my last announcement is actually the entire sermon this morning. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get started with something new that we're going to do this year. If you haven't heard this over the last few weeks, we're going to go through the Bible together in a year as a church family. And so there's different ways that you can choose to participate in that. At the very least, on Sunday mornings, the sermons are going to be working our way, Genesis through Revelation, over the course of this year. So let's pray and prepare our hearts. Um, The first bit of this is going to hopefully be just a little bit encouraging and inspirational. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about the uniqueness of the Bible. Why, Why would we take the time to invest ourselves in the Word of God? And then I'll finish things up with a little bit of practical things Um, that hopefully will help equip you this year as we spend some time in God's word together. So that's where we're heading this morning. All right, well, let's pray and invite the Lord to come speak to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, ultimately, we thank you that you are the living word. You're the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, as the Apostle John um, so eloquently put it. Jesus, thank you for being life itself, the living word. God, we thank you for the written word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit spoke and inspired um, people who loved you and followed you. And God, they faithfully recorded what you shared with them. And it's been protected and cared for and treasured over thousands of years now. God, how humbling is it that I can have 10 Bibles in my house very easily, very readily, and can forget the treasure that it is. But Lord, we thank you for the uniqueness of your word and the wonderful gift that we have been given of what you want to speak to us. God, I pray not just this morning, but in our lives, when we slow down and we sit with you and we open your word and we take it in, God, that the uniqueness of that book would be so real to us. God, that it would come alive in our hearts, just as you say it's the living word. I pray it would be alive in us, that it wouldn't be some dry, dead, religious thing that we're doing, but God, we could realize that we're stepping into your very presence. We're spending time with you. The God of the universe wants to speak to us. Help us recognize that we can hear your voice and that your word can give us everything we need that pertains to this life, and ultimately eternal life with you. God, speak to our hearts this morning. I pray in advance, Lord, that you would just give us the ability, um, if, if we decide to commit ourselves to reading your word every day this year, God, that you would you'd give us the ability to be faithful with that. Lord, that we could take it a day at a time, a step at a time, um, but God, that we could see the power of what happens in our lives if we devote that time to you, to grow in our relationship with you to grow into the men and women you're calling us to be. So God, come, speak to our hearts, encourage us this morning, touch our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, um, so we're gonna devote a year to this. Um, one, of the, one of the things that really kind of um, spoke to my heart, encouraged me, is the way the Apostle John opens um, a shorter letter, not his gospel, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but how he opens his letter that we call 1 John. It was written to the church. And I just, I love the way he describes how he experienced Jesus and how he experienced the word that is life itself. And then he says very clearly, my desire is to share this with you. I want us to have fellowship. I want us to 
have commonality to experience this together. And so let's check out what John has to say here. In 1 John, we're going to read the first four verses. Um, Verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning, and I'm actually, I'm going to stop along the way and mention certain things as we read through this, okay? So he says, that which was from the beginning, that word beginning means more than just the start of something. It means foundational. It can even be used structurally to mean like the cornerstone. This is like the thing that's built upon, the foundation. And so he says, that very thing, which is the foundation of all things, which we have heard. He says, listen, we we heard it. It doesn't just mean audibly I heard it. It's deeper than that. Like I grabbed hold of it. I understood what I was listening to. I took it in. I heard it. Which we have seen with our eyes. So we saw it come alive with our very eyes. Which we looked upon. Now that seems repetitive. We saw it with our eyes. I think that implies we looked upon it. That's actually, that word looked upon there, it's, it's the same word as behold. It, it means I, I slowed down and took enough time that something dawned on me. Something hit me that I'd never seen before. Maybe I looked at it a bunch of times, but then I took it in. You know, I, I drive through Knoxville all the time, and there's just kind of mountains in the distance. But then every now and, and then in my life, I slow down and take them in. Maybe I take a special trip out there. Maybe I just find a location where I can sit and watch them and really take them in. He says, we were able to behold your very word. We took it in. It, it, it touched us. And he says, and then we touched it with our hands. Like, like we've handled it. We're acquainted with your word. And he says, all of this, all these things that we've heard and seen and handled that we beheld, it's concerning the word of life. I don't know about you, but growing up in church, um, For large chunks of my life, when I heard the Bible or God's word, I did not associate it with something that was alive and joyful and exciting. It was maybe like a task, a requirement, dry. But when John looks at the word, he sees something that is alive and that brings life. Verse 2, now he's talking about how Jesus really brought this thing alive by living in their presence. He says, the life was made manifest. It's like it it puts skin and bones to it. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you. He says, we want to share what we experience. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So this life became tangible or real. The the reason I want us to slow down as a church and dive into God's word together is not so at the end of the year we can sit back and go, wow, look at what a Bible scholar I am now. Man, I've accumulated so much more knowledge than I had before. No, the idea is that it would become tangible and real to us, that it would come alive in our lives. And that was was John's hope and prayer. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. That word fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. It's, it's, it's the same word that we see in Acts chapter 2 when the church began to gather and it says they fellowship together and they broke bread together. They were in each other's homes. Like it's really, it's really doing life. It's a, it's a sense of connectedness. It's a vital part of church life. And he says we're sharing this so that you would have fellowship with us. And he says really, indeed, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
So any real human connection that we can have with each other, anything that's really meaningful, really life-giving, really lasting, it's first rooted in fellowship with God. The, the one who loves perfectly invites us into a fellowship with him, and then he teaches us to love imperfect people. Us being the chief imperfect person. <laughs> Paul said that about himself. I'll say that about myself this morning. You should go home and look in the mirror and say that about yourself. <laughs> We're imperfect, but we have fellowship with God, and his love penetrates our lives, and then we can begin to have real fellowship with each other. So this, this is what's available. This is what's offered. Verse 4, what's the result of this? We're writing these things that our joy may be complete. He's not saying, I'm writing these things so my joy can be complete, so I got this off my chest, I'm good. He's inviting us and he's saying, our joy can be complete. We are a part of something. We're a part of something eternal. We're connected with people that lived thousands of years ago that we'll meet in heaven one day. We're connected with people on the other side of this globe that we may never meet in this life, but we're part of the family of God. And we're meant to experience that connection with each other. And there is joy that comes when we're living in relationship with people and that relationship is rooted in Jesus Christ and his word. And so that's the invitation of John, that through handling God's word, through taking it in, hearing it, understanding it, seeing it, yes, but beholding it, letting it sink in. So this is, this is John's invitation. Now, I have to tell you, um, in a very personal way, this is what changed my life. This is what changed my life. And actually, it was this same book of the Bible. And at 19 years old, sick of being a knucklehead high school kid, college kid, you know, I was a Christian, checked the box, grew up in church. I was at a place in my life where it's like, God, are you real or not? Like, I've got to know. And, and I was raised in an environment that taught me God's love and his truth. But somehow, in my mind, I had turned my relationship with Jesus into something religious. He has expectations of me. And I need to do those things. And if I'm doing them, he's happy with me. And when I'm not doing them, he's at least disappointed, if not mad. Anybody ever been there before? That's where I was, that's where I was at. And so I knew I was distant in my heart. Therefore, God must be really disappointed with me. And that's how I felt. And then a passage I'd heard who knows how many hundreds of times, I read it, and for the first time, I beheld it. It hit. It landed. And it was this passage, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Don't let that Christian foundational truth become cold and familiar. Let's behold the reality of a God who loves us so much that the most precious thing to him, his only begotten son, came so we could have life. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved 
us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That changed my life. It's not that I've got to try really hard to love God. He loves me. He loves me. And I I can take in that truth, that reality, and it can so change my life that I respond back in love. It will change how I live. It will change my behavior. But it's not a list I'm trying to follow. It's not an ideal I'm trying to live up to that I can't live up to. The reality of what God wants to say to us is that he loves us, and it's his love that penetrates this world and penetrates our lives and changes us. And when it does, nothing will ever be the same again. And I get to stand back in awe of this God who loves me. And I get to respond back to him. My hope and prayer for us as we slow down and spend time in his word is that that we will have some of those beholding moments where the word's real and it's alive and it's powerful. We're reading the Bible this year not to say we read the Bible this year. We're spending time in God's word this year to be in his presence, to know him, to draw closer to him. If you've walked with him for a long time and you've done this sort of thing a lot, I pray he'll do something fresh and new in your heart as you devote time with him this year. If this is new territory for you, if it's intimidating to read through the Bible, if you're already getting like really nervous about Leviticus, like, oh man, that's the third one we're going to hit. I get it, but that's part of why we're doing it together. We can figure it out. Or we can all sit there together and go, I don't know. Let's go for it, all right? Now, here's what's been personally encouraging to me about this. There's been a lot of cool little, little just winks from the Lord that have been encouraging along the way. But the idea to do this kind of started in the summer. There were conversations some of us were having about just being in God's word more, simplifying what we're doing we're spending time together. Like, what if we just read the word and talked about, talked about it and... God was just stirring something. And so by, you know, late summer, early fall, we decided we're going to go for this. And you'll see some resources we've put together to help, help you guys along the way. Um, so this week, it was like 30 minutes before our staff meeting. And so I'm opening up a news app and flipping through a couple things. And there's a Fox News article calling this the year of the Bible. And it was based on the fact that people like Pope Francis... Rabbi Zacharias, Francis Chan, and others are all encouraging people to spend the year in the Bible. I thought that was pretty cool. We're we're like in tune with what God's wanting to do on a bigger scale. That was pretty cool. That was pretty encouraging to hear. In fact, there was one particular guy that was quoted in this article. Excuse me, his name's Nick Hall. And I, I love what he has to say here about just being in God's word. He says, everything about our faith is built on Scripture, but so many of our lives aren't. He said, we live our lives based off of good ideas or good talks, but even going to church isn't enough. If you go to church and all you do is listen to podcasts, you're missing out. You need daily bread. God wants to speak to you. Spending time with Jesus in the Word of God is life-changing. And so let's go for it. So a couple things I wanted to share, you know, just to, just to give a little inspiration, give a little foundation. Um, I want to talk to you briefly this morning about the uniqueness of the Bible. What's so special about this book? Now listen, we could spend weeks talking about this, but I just want to give you a couple of nuggets, okay? 
First of all, I want you to consider this fact for a minute. The Bible that you hold is really more of a library than a book. It's a compilation of histories, poetry, narratives, um, um, prophecy, like that that was pieced together over time. There's 66 different books in the Bible written by over 40 authors, and think about this, over a period of about 1,600 years. 1,600 years. It was written in three different languages, spanning three continents, and it all has one central theme, the redemption of mankind by a loving God who would send a Savior. Now, you try getting 40 people in a room to sit down and agree on anything. Like, imagine if we were just going to do a little experiment and say, hey, all right, this section right here, we're going to go home this week, and we're going to write a song. So, Nick, you do the first verse. Amy, you've got the second verse. Matt, you've got the third verse. And then next Sunday, we'll come in and see what we got. We're not talking to each other during the week, but just go, write a song. What are the odds that we're going to have an even remotely coherent song? First of all, I probably picked the wrong section. Jared might help us out back there a little bit. right? Like, no hope. But guess what? We all live in the same town, know each other, have some of the same basic experiences, and there's no way we could write a song that would make any sense or fit together. Part of what's unique about the Bible is its harmony. Forty different authors from all these different time periods, different continents, different experiences. Many of them never met each other, and yet it fits together. excuse me, and tells one complete story. I need to cough for a minute. I've got a little bit of a lingering Christmas cold. So listen, the harmony of the scripture should surprise us. Another thing unique about the Bible, Bible prophecy, Bible prophecy, within the Bible, there are all kinds of things that were predicted that would come about, things that couldn't even be controlled or manipulated by somebody. Like, it's, it's stunning. Jesus' first appearance, he's going to return for us one day, but his first appearance, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, living in, in Israel. Jesus' first appearance, over 300 different prophecies in the Old Testament, he fulfilled while he was here. I want to give you an example of them, okay? This is just eight of 300. Can you all say eight? All right, so check this out. These are eight prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Um, We got those up on the screen. Do we fit all eight on one slide or do you have to roll the two? Okay, so um, he was born in Bethlehem. That's talked about in Micah 5.2. He was going to enter on a donkey. the, The king was going to be presented on a donkey. First of all, how many of you would think a king would roll in on a donkey? If you were going to prophesy something, if I had that, I would have been riding white horse or something. On a donkey, born in Bethlehem. How many of you were able to control the, the city of your birth? Even his own parents couldn't control it. It was decreed by a Roman emperor, you're going to go to your hometown. And it just so happened, they lived in Nazareth. Jesus should have been born in Nazareth. But a pagan emperor, who I'm pretty sure had no interest in fulfilling Bible prophecy dictated that everybody go to their hometown to be taxed because, you know, politicians. And, and so his parents go to Bethlehem right as he's about to be born. Think about that. 
Um, Zechariah tells us he was going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's exactly what Judas betrayed him for. Zechariah even tells us that the money would be used to purchase the potter's field. And, and when, when Judas betrays him and realizes what he's done, he throws the money back to, to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they take it. And remember, they're the ones killing Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah. I guarantee you they didn't buy that potter's field to fulfill this prophecy. They, they didn't even understand that they were acting to fulfill some of the very prophecies of Jesus. That he would have wounds. He would show us his wounds, and Jesus did that. That he wouldn't speak up in his defense in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, that he would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. Now, there's often not a large distinction between those two. But in that day and age, if you were wealthy, it was, it was considered that you must have been a pretty righteous person because works were associated with the benefits you would see in life. But he, was, he, was, he died with the wicked on the cross, thieves on either side of him, and was buried with the rich. And finally, that his hands and feet would be pierced. And you got to understand something here. When that was written, Roman crucifixion did not exist. So, just eight of the 300 prophecies, all right? Now, I want you to picture this if you can. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, he did some statistical work and he said, okay, just, just the odds of one man fulfilling just those eight prophecies, not the full 300, just those eight, is 10th to the 17th power. Now, for many of us, that doesn't mean anything to us. It's like, dude, math, I don't know. I got two plus two equals four. So let me give you a visual. If you were to take the entire state of Tennessee, of Texas, sorry, Tennessee wouldn't be big enough, if you were to take the entire state of Texas, that's 266,000 square miles, cover it in silver dollars two feet deep, the whole state, two feet deep, silver dollars, you took one of them and painted it black and put it somewhere in the middle and sent a blindfolded man through the state and he was allowed to pick one, the odds that he would pick that one or the odds that Jesus would fulfill those eight prophecies. That should get our attention. The Bible is a unique book that tells us about the unique Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's in harmony. Its prophecy encourages us that it's reliable. Jesus himself held a high view of the Bible. Now, when he was walking the earth, it was the Old Testament that had been compiled. And so when he looked back at the Old Testament, he viewed it as Scripture, as the Word of God. I want to give you some examples here. These are in my notes. I'm not going to put all this on the screen. These are on my notes. You can get these online midweek this week. They'll show up. First of all, he used different titles for the Bible that showed its authenticity. He called it the Word of God, Scripture, the commandment of God. He accepted the people that were mentioned in the Old Testament as historical he referenced Adam and Eve, Noah and the flood, Jonah and the whale. He referenced these things as historical realities. He saw his own words as scripture. So even though it was after his death and resurrection ascension that the New Testament was written telling the story of his life and then in Acts the story of his followers and the letters to encourage all the churches who were pursuing Jesus, um, 
he was already viewing the words he was speaking while he was on earth as the word of God. You can find that in John 12, 48 and 49. He held people responsible for what was written in the scripture. He used scripture as conclusive evidence when answering his critics. And then ultimately, he used scripture when he was resisting Satan in the wilderness as he was being tempted. Jesus validates the word of God. If you believe in him, we believe in the word of God. He was the word made flesh. Here's the bottom line. The Bible is a great treasure. And I hope we can get this in our heads and in our hearts. We hold something of immense value. Thankfully, we live in a day and age where it is readily available. And there's a lot of translations and things to help it be easier and more accessible to us. That has not been the case over most of human history. We hold something in our lap or in our phone that's really special and unique. It's a treasure. The psalmist writes about this in Psalm 119, verse 162. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. This this book that is to be treasured, it produces something incredible. I want to give you two examples, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Being being a person whose life is rooted in the word of God that takes it in, meditates on it, it changes your life. It produces fruit and health, and it sustains. Paul writes to, to um, his mentee, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. There's a lot of awesome translations of this, but it, it, I want to kind of read it in a fresh way. This is from the Living Bible translation. It says, The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what's right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. Man, what a treasured resource that we have. Let's take time. Let's dive into God's word. Let's treat it like the treasure that it is. And listen, let's not just read the Bible to know the Bible. Let's read the Bible to know the God who wrote it. And oh, by the way, you're going to discover more of who you are, who you were meant to be. That's contained within its pages. So there's a little encouragement, a little inspiration. So I just want to talk practically with you guys for about five minutes, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, Some practical ways um, that we want to encourage you to participate. Again, you know, if you just are coming to church on Sundays, you're going to hear us preach through it. But I'm really hopeful that we're going to engage on a, on a deeper level than that. But I don't want you to do it because Pastor Jake said so or peer pressure because other people in the church are. I just want you to prayerfully consider, God, is this something you're calling me to this year? To spend time with you in your word daily and take it in and decide if that's something that you want to do. And so the, the first way we want to encourage you this year, to resource you this year, is that we're going to do some daily Bible reading together. Now, you can do this however you want. We're putting together, we put together a Monday through Friday reading plan. So this starts tomorrow. 
All right, and we've got the, the year laid out by each week of the year. And so there's, there's five days to do the reading. Um, our thought on that was it gives you a little bit of a buffer if you ever need it to catch up. If you fall behind, you can use the weekends, that sort of thing. So we've got a five-day reading plan. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to post the reading plan weekly. If you go on our website right now, there's a new page on there. On the home page, a little ways down, there's a, there's a spot that says the Bible 2020. And if you click on that, it takes you to a new web page. Every single Sunday afternoon, that web page will update, and it will have right at the top that week's reading, Monday through Friday, and then some other resources that I'll talk about as we go along here. So it'll be updated every Sunday afternoon. If you're, if you're a planner, you want to look ahead a little bit. You can also go to the very bottom of that web page, and you can click a button. It'll open up a PDF. Right now, it has the whole first quarter in there, Amy. Amy's building it for us. Um, everybody know Amy Nickel? Can you stand up and wave? You love being... Sit up and um, Tommy and Amy is the first wedding I ever did. Is this coming year 11 year anniversary? 12? Wow, I'm getting old. First wedding I ever did. Amy was my youth ministry assistant for years at Grace Chapel. We were delighted when they moved to Knoxville after we'd been here about a year and a half ish, something like that. And she's working with us now at the church as well. So she's done a lot of the behind the scenes work on this. Alex has as well. Um, so she's building out the whole year's reading plan, but the first quarter is already posted. You can see it. All right, so Sunday afternoons, that's going to get updated every Sunday afternoon. Monday morning, early in the morning, um, an email is going to hit your inbox that has the reading plan, and our Instagram feed will get updated. So when you wake up Monday morning, if you just open up Instagram, you'll see the reading plan for the week. Or if you open up your email, you'll have that email in your inbox. So you don't, you don't have to go to the website. Those things will come to you, all right? Now, a couple things on your daily reading. There's two primary ways you can do this. You can listen, and you can sit down and read it. There's, there's pros and cons to both. There's a lot of science and study that's been done out there about people's retention level when they're listening. Um, for thousands of years of human history, that was the primary way we read, was just hearing stories told. It works. It's effective. The biggest downside to listening is if you're distracted, because you can check out. You ever do that where you're listening to something you realize, I didn't catch the last five minutes? That's really the only downside to it, is you could, you could check out a little bit. And so whether you're physically reading it with your eyes, you're listening to it, you're doing a little bit of both, I think the goal would just be to try to position yourself where you can take it in, making sure there's focus and there's comprehension. Um, there's several places you could find this, but are you guys familiar with the YouVersion Bible app? Y'all familiar with that? It's really simple. You can put it on your phone. You can go to a chapter of the Bible and just hit a button to play it, and you can listen to it read. And I think it even automatically rolls to the next chapter for you. So you could listen while you're driving to work or whatever, mowing the lawn. Um, you could listen that way, um, and obviously you can, you can read it. Um, so there's other apps that do that as well, but there's a decent one on there. I've listened a little bit this week to the ESV one, and some of those are tough, like you don't quite connect with the voice you're hearing. Um, so you might have to play around with it a little bit to find one that works for you, but that is an option that can help you. Um, I want to talk to you guys about Bible translation, all right? I'm not going to give you a whole in-depth Bible class on this. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version really quick. That's, that's a meaningless thing now, isn't it? Does anybody know what Reader's Digest means? Wow. I should, yeah, I need a new example. USA Today version? What's a, what's a quick bullet point? I don't know. Anyway, Bible translation, Okay. 
I want to equip you a little bit now and then tell you you can ask me questions later and I can give you more information. When choosing a Bible translation, there's several things to consider that you should be aware of, okay? First of all, one is what's the source material being used? Is it, is it faithful manuscripts that are historically well thought of? Is somebody just translating from someone else's translation, it kind of dilutes it over time if that happens. So understand the source material that was used. The method that was used. I'm going to talk about that more intentionally in just a second. The method, how they translated it. And then thirdly, consider who did it. If it's one person, their opinion is going to heavily weigh how that translation comes about. doesn't mean it's bad necessarily, but you need to consider these three things the source material, the method used, and who did it. So let me give you some basics here. On the method, there's three main ways a Bible can be translated. One is what's called like word for word. So somebody will, will go to the, the ancient manuscripts that we have, the Greek manuscripts, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and they'll take those and they will find the closest English word that equates to that original Greek word or Hebrew word. That's a word-for-word translation, okay? Some examples of translations that are word-for-word. These are going to be the most accurate. They're not always the easiest to read because you're basing an English text off of a different language, so it doesn't always read easily, but the most accurate. This is going to be things like the ESV. I I preach a lot from that on Sunday mornings. Um, You know, the old King James version of the Bible, that's just kind of the one that was classic for a long time. The slightly updated version of that, the New King James, those are based on word-for-word translation. Also, the NASB, the New American Standard, those are all pretty solid, well-known translations that are word-for-word, all right? Another type of translation is what's called thought-for-thought. So conceptually, you might take like a paragraph or or a section and go, here's what this section is saying. And I'm going to translate this as accurately as possible to get across the meaning or intent of that section. One of the benefits of that, when you translate that way, is it's a little more readable because you're putting a paragraph together that just makes a little more sense in English. But when I'm reading this English word, it doesn't necessarily tie back directly to a specific Greek word. So especially for deeper study, it's not as accurate. Still not a bad way to do things, but it's just a different method. Examples of that is the NIV translation, New International Version, or the New Living Translation, all right? Those are examples of that. A third example, I would not call these translations, but they get lumped in with translations, so I want to talk about these. It's what are called paraphrases. Um, These are ones that are typically written by one person or a couple of people, and the whole goal is just to make it really readable, really accessible, um, and available. Examples of this are the message translation by Eugene Peterson. I love Eugene Peterson. Um, he's with Jesus now. Um, Eugene Peterson. Um, another example, more recent one, is the Passion translation. Um, Brian Simmons did that one. The, the, here's the deal. I, I'm not going to bash any of them as something you shouldn't read. What I will tell you is it should not replace your Bible reading. It, make sure you're not reading a paraphrase, and that's the only Bible you're taking in. They should be supplemental. It's like a commentary. It's an addition to. So if I'm going to sit down and really read God's word with a a word-for-word translation or a thought-for-thought translation, I'm going to get something that more accurately reflects the historical biblical manuscript. 
then in addition to that, I can be enriched and encouraged with some great writing and sit down and read the message. Like, like I will read the message. I do that. Um, There's good stuff I've gotten out of that. It gives a cool, fresh perspective. I just, I don't replace the Bible with a paraphrase. Does this make sense? If I'm giving you more information than you want, I apologize. If I'm not giving you enough information and you want to talk more in depth, I'm available. I just, I want you guys to think about that going into this year. So consider what translation you're going to use. If you've read through the Bible a few times, a really great way to make things fresh is to purposely change translations. So if you've been reading ESV for a long time, go read the NASV this year or something. And you just kind of hear it a little bit in a fresh voice, in a fresh way. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. A couple more things. So that's, that's all related to daily reading if you'd like to do that. Another thing that we're going to do that's on our website, and we'll send out little reminders as well. Um, they'll be included in the email that you get weekly. Um, the Bible Project, great organization. They've got an awesome website. They've put together these videos that are illustrated videos that give a, a brief overview of each book of the Bible. Some of the longer books, it even gives you like a snapshot in different sections. They're about five-ish minutes apiece. Some of them are a tad longer. So, for example, there's two of them this week. One of them is, covers the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The other one covers chapters 12 through 50. They're each five minutes long. They give you an idea of what you're about to read. And so it's a great way to give you some framework, a reference point of what you're about to read. And so those are going to be included on our website. You can watch those. Um, it's a nonprofit organization. They survive off donations. Our church is going to be giving to them this year because they make everything free. They made these videos freely available. So as a church, we're going to be donating. If personally, if you utilize that resource, you might decide you want to do that. Great. Go for it. Um, but really cool website. We're going to use their videos. Thirdly, I've already mentioned, I'm going to be preaching sermons out of this stuff. And so what I'm going to do primarily is I will preach on what you already read the past week. I'm not going to preach the whole thing. I'll pick something out of what was read. And I'll either hone in really close on one story. In some cases, I might take a bigger picture view. But from a sermon standpoint, primarily the messages are going to be understanding what we read and seeing how it connects to the larger story how it points to Jesus. That's where we're going to go on Sunday mornings together. Um, Part of what I want to do to help us get started with this, usually in early January, I do a state of the church update. I give you a financial update. I share stories and stuff from the previous year. I give you an idea of things that are coming this year. We're going to put that off till early to mid-February so we can kind of get the ball rolling with this, this sermon stuff that we're doing for this Bible project. So I'll let you know a date. Um, soon, but, but one of the first couple of weeks in February, we'll do the church update. So we're going to get started with this. So next Sunday, I'll preach a sermon out of this week's reading. And then last thing, I just want to encourage you guys to do what John was inviting us to do, be in fellowship with one another. And so this is a great, a great way to do it is our life groups. It's a primary way you can jump in and connect with each other. We also, on that website I'm talking about, there's a place to submit questions and so if you're reading through something and it's, it's a hard passage, you've never really understood what's going on there, why that's there, it seems like it casts God in a really negative light or something, and you're just curious about it, f- fill out that little question, it'll send us an email, um, we'll get back with you. And some of them, if they feel like they're kind of relevant on a bigger level, I'll address some of them on Sunday mornings um, so we can grow and wrestle through this stuff together. All right? Awesome.